The upheavals now known as the Arab Spring cannot be understood unless they are put in the context of the long history of the Arabs. What are the origins of the confusions and complications that afflict our Western understanding of the Arab world? How did this distinction we constantly draw between East and West begin, and how valid is it? Whose fault is it that things so often went wrong? Will the Arab Spring exercise any of the demons that have come between us? These are just some of the questions this book seeks to answer. The Arab Spring found Arab autocrats complacent and in denial, despite their fearsome intelligence services with supposedly all-seeing eyes. It is therefore unsurprising that it caught European and American strategists, experts, and commentators on the hop as they observed demonstrators in Arab countries calling for fair elections and human rights, the freedoms that we enjoy as a matter of course. But Europe and the USA had strategic interests to consider and cold calculations to make. As President Hosni Mubarak tottered in Egypt, there were fears about the Suez Canal. The price of oil became a worry once Libya descended into civil war while Europeans feared uncontrolled immigration as thousands desperately took to the sea to escape from the turmoil. And what if the unrest eventually spread to Saudi Arabia, far and away the world's largest oil exporter? Six Arab countries are among the top 15 oil exporting states, making the Arab region as a whole vital for the rest of the world. These were merely extra worries for policymakers in the West, who already suffered headaches caused by the region's unresolved baggage. It was where the seeds of Islamist terrorism had germinated in the late 20th century. Chaos and instability would give networks like Al-Qaeda the opportunity to reorganize and expand. There were also two major international issues which refused to go away the unfinished business between Israelis and Arabs, which had been a destabilizing factor for decades, and the ambitions of non-Arab Iran to project its influence across the region. Hope has therefore been tinged with nervousness and bafflement as governments across the world respond inconsistently to events in each country, and one crisis follows another. Revolutions have a life of their own they can descend into civil war. This happened in Syria when the regime learned the lessons of Tunisia and Egypt and refused to relinquish control. The best organized forces, not necessarily the most popular or democratic ones, often triumph in the end. None of the uprisings started in the name of Islam, but Islamist politicians seemed to be the beneficiaries of the first truly democratic elections held in Arab countries for decades. Even before 9-11, there had been loose talk of a clash of civilizations. For many people, this put Islam, and therefore the Arab world, in existential opposition to the democracies of the West. We are now going to find out once and for all whether this clash really exists. I believe that history shows that it does not. Civilized cultures influence and benefit each other. If they do not, they are quite simply not civilized. The expression clash of civilizations has come to be used almost as a slogan.
The clash has a resonance for people with a certain attitude of mind and a certain view of history. It has become an intellectually lazy way of helping them believe what they want to believe, of confirming their prejudices and explaining things away without making an effort to understand them properly. Since at least the October 1973 war between Israel and its Arab neighbors, the USA has been the predominant power in the Middle East. After the collapse of the Soviet Union, it enjoyed near hegemony. Yet imposing its will has been at a huge cost, which has often been self-defeating. The intrusion of domestic politics on its freedom of action in foreign affairs has made it like a drunken man playing with a Rubik's Cube. However hard it tries, however much energy it exerts, the colored squares obstinately refuse to line up, and it periodically loses its concentration. The problem is that, as with Britain and France in an earlier period, American good intentions are regularly sacrificed on the altar of political expediency. The reasons behind this failure are not hard to find. All too frequently, Europeans and Americans have created their own image of the Arabic-speaking countries of the Middle East and Islam. They have then proceeded to deal with the image rather than the reality. Memory distorts the pictures it builds, but we normally do our best to correct those pictures once we become aware of the distortion. Yet sometimes emotion plays a trump card, and the mind finds ways to reject whatever conflicts with the ideal we have constructed. The Arab world and Islam are contentious issues in Western cultural wars, and narratives of history are built accordingly. In some circles, the attitudes somebody displays to the Arab world and to Islam may be seen as a litmus test about his or her view of Western civilization itself. There are even people for whom a negative or hostile picture of Arabs and Muslims seems to have become necessary for their own positive image of the West.